You can be seated, but you already did. Okay. Good morning. Uh, if you don't know, uh, most of you know me, but I'm Joe Brown. I'm uh, one of the pastors around here. I get to do a lot with discipleship and teaching, and so uh, I'm excited to be able to be up here and share the Word of God with you and to talk about it. Uh, this morning, we get to uh, a, a monumental moment in the book of Nehemiah. So before I say any words about it, I'm just going to read it. So this is in your bulletin. Uh, it's up on the screens behind me if you're here. If you're at home, uh, it's in your Bible. And if you don't know where it is, just open your Bible, let it fall, and then turn to the table of contents. Find Nehemiah. There you go. Ross, that was for you. Uh, we are looking at Nehemiah 6.15 through Nehemiah 7.4. This is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in the in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son, Jehohanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the daughter of Barakai, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid." Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hanani, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still guard, standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. So, guys, the wall's finished. The wall's finished. I mean, praise God. They had set out to do a hard and impossible task, and they finished it. Have you ever set out to do a really hard task and then finished it? How does it, how does it feel? Oh, it's glorious. It's glorious. Uh, we are in constant projects in my house. In my house, we're always doing something. Uh, most of, all of my kids have grown up in and amongst uh, torn down walls, broken holes in walls, uh, plaster everywhere. We had ju just uh, last week, my wife had tiled our kitchen and we had rented a tile saw and there was a couple pieces that were like constantly breaking uh, and it was super frustrating, but then you just got to, you just got to keep at it, just got to keep at it. And finally, so now if you go to our house right now, you're not allowed, but if you did, uh, you would see a beautiful tiled kitchen thanks mostly to the work of my wife. And it's wonderful. And I know that my wife, when she walks into the kitchen, she just 
just look at it. Just look at it. And then she like, come here. Just look at it. Just didn't that look good? You know, when you finish something, when you accomplish something, it feels so good. It feels so great. And you want to call other people in to praise it with you, right? They just finished building the wall. From the very beginning, Nehemiah had one task, build the wall. He set forth to build this wall, to do this really hard task. And the entire time, he had obstacles. I mean, from the very beginning, when he was out in Susa, he had to get the Babylonian emperor, Artaxerxes, to reverse an earlier or a political government order so that he could then go back and build the wall. So he had to reverse a law. And then, once he's in Jerusalem, he had to devise a plan to accomplish this task, motivate people to accomplish this task, motivate people who didn't want to do this. And then, once the work got started, he was opposed by governors from the surrounding provinces, Tobiah being one of them, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. And he was opposed by injustices within Israel. Nehemiah's enemies tried to stop the work by ridicule, threat of violence, intrigue, harmful rumors, intimidation. His wealthier countrymen almost scuttled it by their oppression of the poor. In every way, Nehemiah was opposed and this job was almost impossible. And yet here we are. The wall is done. This task of Nehemiah to be rebuild the wall was troubled from beginning to end. That is probably a great way to describe the church. This task is troubled from beginning to end. I've talked to plenty of folks, some of you in this room, that say, wow, we're in, we are beset on all sides. The church is beset on all sides like never before. And I would agree up until the like word. The church is beset on all sides, but it's definitely not like, it's definitely not unprecedented. There are unprecedented things that are going on in this world, but our besetting, the church being beset on all sides is not unprecedented. From the very beginning, this church project has been impossible. And yet we see here in Nehemiah that this work that God does It's him that does it. It's God that does it. So when we look at the history of the church, we see God doing impossible work. When we see the history of nationally, I'm not conflating national politics with the church in any way. But we see some similarities. Uh, I quoted Hamilton in the first service. Now I'm going to quote Hamilton again. Um, Uh... Independence is full of contradictions, isn't it? The Constitution, it's full of contradictions. So what? So is independence. That's a little quote. That's a little rap from Hamilton. From the very beginning of the nation, it was beset on all sides. From the beginning of the nation, from the United States, uh, it was hard. And yet we still are grappling with it today, right? Our own families. I mean, who thought it was a good idea to put two sinners together and that they would propagate and have other kids who are also sinners and then in a pandemic, we all have to live in the same house together? Who thought that was a good idea? Not me, but beset on all sides. I I spend all this time to say, 
what you and I need to do, and I want you to hear this this morning, what you and I need to do is we need to persevere. We need to persevere. And we can't do it on our own. And what this text gets at is what it means to persevere by the power of God. And we're going to talk about that. Persevering. Do you need perseverance in your life today? Do you need perseverance? Yes. We all do. So God did it. He built this wall and what happens? The enemies were afraid. They were wallowing in fear. Enemies were giving God glory for certainly the only way this happened is if their God helped them. Uh, my favorite quote from this week when I was studying this stuff is from Derek Thomas. And he said this. When God does a mighty work, unbelief trembles. When God does a mighty work, unbelief trembles. And that's what happens here. What God intends to bring about, he will bring about. And yet Nehemiah, his project is finished, but the conflict continues. And we heard from that text that I read a lot about this guy named Tobiah. Who is Tobiah? We've heard him mentioned before in a couple chapters earlier. Tobiah, he's an Ammonite. He's not necessarily Jewish, but he's married into some Jewish families. He is, uh, uh, Boyce says this, he is worldly wise. He is a worldly wise businessman, governor of Ammon, a politically ambitious individual who stopped at nothing to advance his career. Talk less, smile more. It's another Hamilton quote. You're welcome for that. This is Tobiah. He's traitorous and treasonous. He has family connections. He has business connections. And he does everything in his power to undermine what Nehemiah is doing. The wall's finished, but Tobiah's not. The great project is done, and yet the great project continues. Tobiah goes into when the outright opposition to building the wall, when that didn't work, and then he finally was, and Nehemiah was finally able to build the wall, Tobiah switches tactics. He's like, okay, that didn't work, so now I'm going to go into what many people call a whisper campaign. Do you guys know what a whisper campaign is? Um, I know it because I participate in them. I mean, sadly, I say that much to my chagrin, but that's what we do because whisper campaigns are rumors, gossip, and I put up the word here that I really wanted to scuttlebutt. This is what we do. We love these things on a personal level. Rumors, gossip, scuttlebutt. Remember I said I'm a pastor that deals a lot with discipleship, so I end up teaching. I teach a lot with kids and some adults. And um, So bear with me for a minute. I want to talk about this for a second. I want to talk about what it means, this power of rumor and gossip and scuttlebutt. They are like little pets from hell. So uh, a lot of families I know have gotten new dogs during quarantine because people are home. This is a great time to get puppies. It's wonderful. One of my daughters really every day comes to me. She is persistent. Can we get a new dog? Can we get a new dog? Can we get a new dog? And I know a lot of folks that got new dogs, got new puppies. Pets are wonderful. I love pets. We have three of them already. 
Pets are wonderful. They're great. Uh, rumors and gossip are like little gremlins. You know, just super cute, just wonderful. And they make you feel good, don't they? Did you see what she put on her Facebook wall? Mm, feels so good to talk to someone else about this. Did you see who liked what she posted? Did you see who didn't like that comment? I mean, this doesn't just happen in social media. It happens in our own neighborhoods, right? I'm stuck at home, so we are in neighborhoods all the time. Oh, what are they doing over at their lawn? Oh, that looks disgusting. I'm glad I'm not them. Oh, I didn't know they're moving. You know, these things, they look good. They look cute. They feel good. But they are pits from hell. They're little hell pets. That's what I'm going to call them. Gossip and rumor are like little hell pets. Like the plant Audrey 2 from Little Shop of Horrors. I'm so sorry to keep giving uh, uh, cultural references. Audrey 2, you know, just feeds, feeds some blood, Seymour. Give me some blood, Seymour. And eventually that little plant comes and devours the world. That's what rumors and gossip does. That's what they do. So what do we do with rumors and gossip? I want to talk for just one second what Tobiah does, what you and I do, and how we need to stop it. Okay? So the first thing we need to do with rumors and gossip is you and I, friends who are sitting here in this room and friends who are at home watching this virtually, we need to give the benefit of the doubt. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Friends, don't be like Tobiah. He didn't bear with Nehemiah at all. No. He's like, how can I use this rumor and hear something that Nehemiah did, take all context out of it, take and then maybe spike some things that Nehemiah did say and then go bring it to my friends and say, hey, friends, Nehemiah said this. That's what we do. We don't give people the benefit of the doubt. We just exaggerate, take things out of context. That's what we do. So friends, don't be like Tobiah. Bear with one another in love. The second thing, expose secrets. Uh, the sixth commandment, do you know which one the sixth commandment is? Don't kill. Do not murder. Uh, Heidelberg Catechism, which we actually just read a section of Heidelberg Catechism just a few minutes ago. Um, when it talks about the sixth commandment, it says, I am not to belittle, hate, insult, or kill my neighbor. Secrets, secrets are no fun. Secrets, secrets hurt someone. So far, my kids over here have heard me say all these things numerous times. Give the benefit of the doubt. Secrets, secrets are no fun. Secrets, secrets hurt someone. When you hold on to a secret, you are not a safe person. I'm not talking about, you know, oh, don't be a spill secret. I'm talking about when you're a family, when you're a person who just loves to take secrets and yeah, Oh, you have a secret? Yeah. Oh, you have a secret? Yeah. And then you hold on to them, and then maybe you use them as weapons later. Oh, really? Secrets kill. Secrets kill because they stop communication. 
the one thing that us at the church, the church staff, we talk about a lot is like this weird virtual stuff that we're doing. It's super weird. And there's stuff that we need to work through. And it's a, you know, just stuff we just got to figure out. But one of the things that's really hard in a virtual world is that we're not face to face. And I, I think it's great safety wise. Please, this is a wonderful thing. But if you're not face to face and you hear a rumor and gossip about someone, it's really hard to have communication to work through that work, right? So don't be like Tobiah. Stop being like Tobiah. Do not belittle, do not hate, do not insult, do not kill your neighbor. In today's world, we need to stop keeping secrets and blocking communication. I got to move on. The third thing to, for rumors, gossip, and scuttlebutt is we need to stop doing it. This is an easy one. Proverbs 26, 20 says, for the lack of, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there's no whisperer, quarreling ceases, right? Little hell pets are rumors. They just grow. They grow. They grow until they consume and destroy. That's what they do. These rumors, they're killing us. So friends, don't be like Tobiah. And if you're doing a whisper campaign against someone or against something, stop it. And then lastly, deal directly, even if and especially if someone is dealing indirectly with you. Deal directly with someone. I think because I deal with conflict all the time, I think people know about this, but I was talking to someone just a couple weeks ago who had never heard about Matthew 18, what Jesus says about how to deal with conflict. So I'm making sure you understand it. I'm making sure you understand what Jesus says in Matthew 18 about how to work through conflict. Friends, if you have a conflict with someone, go talk to them. Amen? Go talk to them. And if they won't listen to you, go get someone else. And this is important. Go get someone else who that person respects and likes. If you have a conflict with this guy, don't then go over and get someone else who agrees with you. Yeah, that guy's terrible. Come on, let's go get him. No, that's terrible. No, go get someone that this guy respects and honors and loves and say, hey, come, we need to work through this conflict. And if still, once again, if that doesn't happen, get more people, get the church, get elders, get people who love and respect you and respect the Lord and can come together and bring conflict. Notice the circle is slowly, slowly getting bigger and bigger, slowly to work through the conflict. That is the rule of Christ in Matthew 18. Deal directly with people. Each step of the way is another chance for that person to be heard. Don't be like Tobiah, friends. Deal directly with someone who has hurt or offended you. Discard your hell pets of gossip, rumor, and scuttlebutt before they destroy you. Amen? So notice what Nehemiah does with Tobiah's rumors, gossip, and scuttlebutt. Nothing. Tobiah doesn't do anything with it. It says in verse, it, it, the end of six, Tobiah's doing all this horrible stuff against Nehemiah. What does Nehemiah do? Let's get back to work. Because yes, the wall's done, but there's still more work to be done. Narratively, in this book of Nehemiah, narratively, what's happening is everything up until this point has been about building the wall. And this is the hinge in the book. 
things are going to switch at this point. From this point on, and as we continue looking at Nehemiah, the wall has been built. Now we need to build the community. Now we need to build the people. And Nehemiah is going to point us back to worship. God, through Nehemiah, is going to point us back to him. It's going to point us back to the great word of God, continuing the work. And so worship being the center, Nehemiah says, Tobiah, you, you're, you're, you're working against me. Let's just keep going. Let's keep going. Another step. Another step. Just keep working. Keep working. Do you see the perseverance here? Just keep working. Keep stepping. Keep working. Keep stepping. So how do you persevere in the midst of a quarantine? How do you persevere in the midst of a pandemic? How do you persevere in the midst of racial unrest? How do you persevere in the midst of civil discord? We don't know how to talk to each other anymore. How do we persevere in the midst of people outright attacking you? How do you persevere in the midst of people in your house who don't like you? How do you persevere in the midst of, I am ambivalent personally. I want to do this, but I also want to do that. Completely opposite. I don't know what to do. How do you persevere in that? That's what Nehemiah gets at. Because you and I, we are crushed. I want to quit. Many days of my life, I want to quit. I don't want to to quit this mortal coil, but I just want to quit the, the hard work. I just want to quit the hard work of faith. It's just hard. I mean, I thought Jesus said, if you believe in me, life will be easy. Did he say that? Oh, I wish he did. But no, this life is hard. I sometimes want to sit it out. I want to be the opposite of uh, that great 80s song, um, Center Field. Don't put me in coach. I'm not ready to play. That is me many times. Is that you? I just want to sit it out. Years before Nehemiah, the people of God had escaped slavery in Egypt. And they ran, holding on, plundering the Egyptians, taking everything they could to get out of Egypt. And they get to the Red Sea. Can they cross the Red Sea? No, the answer is N-O, no, they can't do it. And so they're stuck there at the Red Sea. And what's behind them? Pharaoh's army barreling down on them to come take them back to slavery. And so what do the people of God say to Moses? Do they say, Moses, what's the next step? Nope. Do they say, Moses, uh, I know God's going to take care of us. Nope. They say, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us away to die here instead of there? Is that why? Which is hilarious, by the way. What have you done to bring us out of Egypt? Is it, uh, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. The people of God said, I would much rather be a slave than be free right here and terrified. And the reason why I'm spending time saying this is because the words of Moses have rung true in my life many, many times. The words of Moses, the words of the Lord through Moses back to the people of God, I think is what you and I need to hear today. 
Moses says this, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Moses said to the people of God, you see death in front of you. You see death behind you. Don't speak. Don't fear. Just stand firm and watch what our God is going to do. Watch what our God is going to do. Nehemiah saw death all around him. He saw opposition all around him. And he stayed, he stood, he stood and stayed firm in what he needed to do because he was going to watch what God was going to do. God built that wall. God built the church. God is building you. God is doing it when you stand firm. You see, we read in scripture that our God sits down twice. Our God works for six days, creating everything. And what does he do on the seventh day? Ah, he rests. Our God works for our creation. And then we see over the next years, God working out our salvation. And we see him dying on the cross. And we see him raising from the dead. And what does he do next to the father on the throne right now? He sits down. Our God sits when he does, when he creates us, when he does creation, he sits and rests. When he does our salvation, he sits and rests. What we need to do is stand firm. Stand firm. Brothers, if you're anything like me, sisters, if you're anything like me, you see, you see opposition all around you. You see opposition all inside you. I'm not telling you, Buck up, buck up, young camper. Just believe the platitudes you see printed on my grandmother's doily, doilies at her home. I'm not saying that. I'm saying stand firm and watch what the Lord is going to do. When, he, when, when we see the salvation of God, we will praise him. We're about to go into a part in Nehemiah where they are worshiping God. And they can worship God because they saw what he did. Amen? So brothers and sisters, stand firm in the gospel. And I want you to know, don't quit because our God did not quit, for you, quit on you. Amen? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a great God. We thank you that you give us hope in a hopeless world. We thank you that when you do a mighty work, Unbelief trembles, but belief praises. So we do pray that you give us the ability to praise you, God. Help us to praise you today. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In your bulletin, we now come to the part uh, where we confess our sins together. Uh, there's a confession of sin uh, printed in the bulletin as well as up on the screens behind me. Let's read this responsibly. Most, Most merciful, merciful God, God, whose Son, Jesus Christ, 
was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. We confess before you our own sinfulness. We have hungered after that which does not satisfy. We have compromised with evil. We have doubted your power to protect us. We have been obsessed with creating a life of constant pleasure. We have been indifferent to the treasure of heaven. We have neglected your wise and gracious law. Forgive our lack of faith. Have mercy on our weakness. Restore in us such trust and love that we may walk in your ways and delight in doing your will. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement from 1 Peter. You are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy. 